Welcome to the Calgary Sessions. This is episode number 102. I'm your host, Jeff Humphreys. Today's guest, every time she says something, I have flashbacks to just being a um, very, in my, in my youth, watching sports. And, and you didn't, <laughs> every time I've talked to you, I'm just like, oh, I can like see you on, on TV and I can hear your <laughs> stories. It's, so anyways, um, name and who you are, please. My name is Lisa Bose, and it's wonderful to be here at Model Citizen. Thank you for having me, Jeff. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so obviously I, I know you from TV for all those years. Um, all those years? Well, I'm not saying when they were, but you were, on, you were around for, like you were a presence for a long time. It is true. Yeah. I will take that as a compliment. Yes, I didn't say, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say oh, anything about age, <laughs> duration of time. Um, yeah, so obviously we caught up um, through our mutual friend, Jesse. So shout out to Jesse for making this happen. You've been up to some cool things. Um, you've been a presence in the city for a long time. So this would be a really cool story for me to hear, kind of start to finish. So um, yeah, take it back as far as you want to go. So where you grew up, how you grew up, how your parents inspired you, all of it. So take wow. it back and then we'll just kind of weave a path to like talking about children's <laughs> illustrations and books. So it'll be a, it'll be a cool story. I would love to take us back to, I was born in Toronto, Ontario, and we lived there till I was seven, and then moved to Guelph, Ontario. And I would start with Guelph because that really was my formative years, mm-hmm. and that's really where I have a brother, and so a two-child family, uh, really supportive parents who got my brother and I into sports from a very early age. Mm-hmm. I actually grew up on a, a street that was all boys, and so having that brother... I really was socialized in many ways, I think, as a boy. Mm. So I played caps. I played uh, street hockey. We went to the park and played ball. Mm. So it really, I think, helped to identify, became a part of, I guess, molding my personality. Mm -hmm. Tomboy. Some people don't like that term, but I actually like it. And Mm. I really took great pride, in a way, being a tomboy and being able to, I guess play with the boys and hold my own. Mm. And I think that really was a a critical factor in my growing up. And sports really socialized uh, me, and that really gave me confidence as a young girl growing up in the 70s. Mm And that's that's how I guess my whole journey in life began, is growing up in Guelph, playing with the boys. Sports was everything to me, Mm. watching sports, playing sports. And in fact, I started really the first recollection I would have is from, funny enough, it was going to girl guy camp and winning a softball toss uh, competition. And I can clearly remember all these years later that that gave me such confidence, feeling like I was strong and Mm -hmm. I could throw this ball and win this competition that that I was physically able, if you will. I yeah. don't know. So I think about that. And is, then it, I, is it funny? Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. It's interesting how you have those moments, right? Those like childhood yeah. moments that all of a sudden, especially around athletics, I feel like those moments, they really stick out for me too, but maybe not for everybody, but it's, it's very fascinating. You can go back to that like one specific moment and remember kind of what well, you felt. Well, this is it. And here I am at a girl guy camp, mm-hmm. but I can clearly remember that moment and how I felt. And then the next step would have been, I was seven years old, we've moved to Guelph, and Guelph, by the way, is about 45 minutes outside of west of Toronto, very much a university town, fantastic university town, and very much a town that is steeped in Italian culture. Mm. And so everyone played soccer. 
And when I was starting out, though, at that age, I played with the boys because there were no girls teams at that stage. <laughs> and so, but having that, as I told you about me and the neighborhood boys, you know, I really felt comfortable playing with the boys. And also, I think it makes us better, actually, yeah. when we're playing with the boys, because you have to be, you just have to be because of the, the differences in our physical abilities at that stage. Yeah. And so... Uh, playing soccer in Guelph, and then I started to play, you know, for Guelph and played on the rep teams. Mm. And so that journey uh, continued for me in understanding how sports was so integral to my personality. Mm. And so that began into, obviously, through high school. I identified strongly, again, as an athlete. Yeah. That became part of my identity. I was part of the athlete council at school. And funny enough... I did the announcements, the school announcements no for the teams. And so <laughs> I'll never forget Mr. Aiken, who's actually his son, David Aiken, is a longtime reporter on Global. He is like mm. a senior parliamentary a reporter. David Aiken, well, his father uh, was the principal. And I'll, I still remember him saying, here's Lisa with the sports. <laughs> and so I would do the uh, school announcements. Mm. And, you know, in this very high, you know, and the, the Spartans, you know, <laughs> the junior boys basketball team. Anyway, so I kind of laugh because I see this microphone yep. and I think about, wow, the first time I actually dealt with a microphone was at the age of 16, 17. Mm. And then that journey continued. In fact, I called my first called, I use that term loosely, high school football. I was a color commentator. We did it to like a cable mm. in Guelph, Ontario. Oh, so I think it was Mike, uh, Mike, I can't remember his last name. He was the play-by-play, -play, but I've got a picture in the yearbook. And there we were calling, mm. um, calling the football game for high school. I, I, I shudder to think what that sounded like. Oh, I'm sure but, it's fantastic. But again, <laughs> it's paving the way for yeah. a career that I had no idea I was heading to. So just to wrap this yeah. little part of my story up is that I then decided at that stage that I wanted to become a phys ed teacher. That made complete sense to me. Mm. So I would go to university and that would be starting with that degree. So I actually am a graduate in kinesiology. Mm. And then I was going to go into sports psychology because I loved watching tennis is something I love to watch. And I was a big Yvonne Lendl fan mm. and he was always losing at the U.S. Open. And I thought, why is that? I mean, why are these athletes having these meltdowns? Yep. I was so fascinated by the mental aspect. And so my plan was to graduate from Western University and go to the University of Alberta and get my master's in sports psych. Hmm. But I played soccer at Western, and while we were uh, doing that part of this journey, someone from the campus radio station sat at our table at the athletic banquet, and they said, you know, we don't get women's sports on the air too much. Would you be interested in next year coming out and volunteering for the... So that began with me interviewing my teammates mm. after a game at Western mm. as a bit of a lark. Yep. Donowski, you never passed me the ball. I was <laughs> wide open. And it led to me getting involved in student radio and then the complete trajectory of my life yep. changed. Crazy. Did a hard 90-degree angle mm. into sports media. So I could, I, could, <laughs> I could go down a bunch of different paths with you right now. Okay. The... the this like pull to athletics, was it um like Guelph was a small-ish town, right? And, like, was it? Did you stand out? Was there many girls that were like heavily involved in sport? Or was it? Was it? Were you kind of an uh, anomaly back then? 
I think I was probably an anomaly. I think there was only there was one only one other girl I can think of, Dana, and she was like me, where she liked sport as well. And we were unique in that way because we, as I was mentioning, we were with the boys, mm-hmm. and so that was a unique thing. And maybe that did also give me that sense of oh, this is. I'm special. Yeah. I'm in this environment where there aren't too many that look like me. Mm-hmm. And and so I think you could be right in, in that it did give me that sense of this is something interesting mm-hmm. and different. And, and this is kind of maybe this is somehow I'm cutting my path as a young girl, recognizing that I'm also gaining so much from yep. the boys. Yep. And what's interesting about it, Jeff, is that later on I then head into a workplace that is all men. Well, as, as you're as you're talking about it, like workplace rooms, post like it's dressing it, rooms. Yeah, it's like a there's a heavy male presence everywhere. A thousand percent. And when, of course, when I started, and I actually began my sports media career. So I graduated up early out of my kinesiology degree. Yep. For, I want to take. Yeah. Yep. One of the things you said was <laughs> Yvonne Lendl. So I watched. I was into tennis for a while. I think the Agassi era, um, McEnroe was kind of like, he was still there yelling and screaming. But it was like Boris Becker, Yvonne Lendl, uh, Agassi. So that was kind of, that's kind of when I was into it a lot. When Agassi was like on that run of... Vetus, Gerolitis, Jimmy yeah. Connors. It yeah. was that, that mm-hmm. whole crowd, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And why the... <laughs> so when, when I think about it, like when I have those flashbacks of that era, um, Boris Becker always kind of, he was just this... He never won anything, but he was always like this, like, not a dark horse, but it was like this sad story. This guy could never win, but he always came up against Devon Lendl yes. and always lost. Yes. So you bring that name up, and instantly I flash back to being in my parents' place. And everybody place. hated Yvonne Lendl, yeah. right? Yeah. So I kind of liked the underdog, so mm. I was, anyway, that's just, I was just always kind of pulling for that guy. But, mm. but back to the, but the workplace is really interesting, and I think back on my life, and I think about how, that comfortability in a workplace mm-hmm. full of men yeah. actually was forged. The foundation began mm-hmm. as I was in sport with the boys. Yeah. And so I have an, I have actually have, I'm more comfortable actually to this day in mm-hmm. a room of men than I am in a room of women. Why do you, do you think that just because of all your experiences? Or what, what do you, it's fascinating, right? Like, do you think, while you're working, that most of your experiences were around men, like female athletics. You know, wasn't it didn't no. have, there was there wasn't a lot of opportunities back then. You know, no. there wasn't a lot of professional. Well, I'm leagues. rarely interviewing yeah, sure. or doing stories yep. on females, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I got to the score. So in the year, let's see, 2000, when we actually did a show that was about all female athletes, and the subtlety was called Sports Access with the double X. Mm. And this was a show that was very much ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, me and my my small team, we really were focused solely on the storytelling. And obviously you can see this as a female. It's the same thing actually when people say to me, oh yeah, you're a female sportscaster. Actually, I'm a sportscaster, and we can, you know, I, I definitely think we can see right away that I'm a female because we'd never say you're a male sportscaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're just, you wouldn't say you're a male pilot or you're, you're a, a pilot, a doctor, you're all these things, and that yep. has really evolved, I've seen over time. Yep. But I must say, though, that 
uh, it's really interesting how I do feel that comfortability. And maybe it's because, again, socialized as a young girl, mm-hmm. then as an, a young adult, having to make my way in the TSN newsroom, that was my first job. After I graduated up early out of kinesiology, I went to one year at Conestoga College for in a broadcasting program. Mm. And I didn't go back for to finish that that program because I was hired at TSN as a writer. So I started at the very base, mm. an editorial assistant. They actually called us Flugens. Flugen is the German word apparently for housefly. And we were the <laughs> lowest of low. I mean we were we were paid fifty dollars a shift. In 1989, Mm. $50 a shift, and then the government came. There was no overtime. So it was $250 a week, so Mm -hmm. $1,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Had to pay rent. I lived with a girlfriend on her couch, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) sharing the rent in Toronto. And so now I'm a young adult having to be accepted and uh, respected in yeah. a newsroom full of men, and mm-hmm. I was the first female editorial no assistant. So now we're talking, mm-hmm. now we really have to prove ourselves mm-hmm. that we belong. Mm-hmm. That, um, when you were there at that, at that lowest point, did it feel like, did you have the, was there energy around you or in you that was like, this is the right spot for me? Did you know that you were kind of... I think so, and that's why I didn't go back to that mm. Uh, to to finish off my my program, I already had kind of my degree, so I felt it was okay to yeah. not go back. And I was learning so much in the field, and I'll never forget that the executive producer at the same at the time, and you know, he was smoking a cigarette uh, in 1989. <laughs> you know, would you like to, you know, break the sexual barrier and and work here? And I said, yes, I think you know, I think I would. And so yeah, April of 1989, and. And so they used to say to me, I'd go into the control room and they'd say, uh, how are you making out in there with the penguins? Because you know, there was all, <laughs> just like I was sort of this unique figure mm. with all the, the guys. But honest to goodness, Jeff, the, the guys who I work with there, we are lifelong friends mm. to this day. Cool. We will be at each other's funerals. In fact, one of them who hilariously I had to train as an editorial assistant he was actually just honored by the Football Writers of Canada at the recent Grey Cup. Amazing. Uh, he is uh, the producer of the Grey Cup on TSN, John Hines, one of the most dedicated producers you will ever meet. Mm-hmm. And he and I started on the row. That's what it was called. Typewriters we had. We would type out the highlights for the commentators. No way. So when you're watching, mm-hmm. when you were five or six years old... Mm-hmm. Born 77, so I was... <laughs> <laughs> when you were watching and the commentators were reading the highlights to you, those were delivered to the, to the commentators by us, editorial assistants, mm-hmm. on a typewriter, watching three or four games at a time, and then handing them those scripts. Crazy. And that's John Hines, yes. Yeah, so, so just recently I saw that. I was just so proud of him and mm. happy for him. That's... Um it's like a groundbreaking position you had, hey? Like the first female in that environment. Did mm-hmm. you know at the time that there was like that much weight behind it? It's a great question because I don't think, when I think back on that time, I think I was just so excited to be able to give, be given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I looked at it as like I was the first to do this. I think, 
And I had a lot of those in my career, the first to do this, the first mm. to do that. And honestly, I, at the time when this is happening, all I'm thinking about is you've been given the opportunity. Here's this amazing chance for you. So mm -hmm. do a great job. All I thought about was like doing a great job. Yep. When I got into this, when I recognized that maybe sports media is where I was headed, I just wanted to be a good all-round sportscaster. And mm. what does that mean? That means to be a good anchor, reporter, live host, and play-by-play. -play. Mm. And that was my driving force was to become that. And I don't really, it didn't even occur to me. And maybe that goes back again to my childhood mm -hmm. where I never thought about being a girl with all the boys. Yeah. I was just a playmate. Mm -hmm. We were just out there playing caps. <laughs> it makes sense now, like to actually like where you are and what you've accomplished and looking back in these moments, which I, I find that's really fun for me to like experience these like reflective moments. Mm -hmm. What do you think that um, being comfortable with the mic so early, you know, those first couple of opportunities to be on the mic, what was it that clicked for you? Like to find your voice at a young age, was it just like because you're talking about something you're passionate about or was it, did you like kind of the, the idea of not, not having all the attention but just being a voice? Right. Are you meaning from From like at school, or even from high a, school? From high school and you got that right. mic doing the announcement. Like yes, I think, uh, I, I think when you do this type of work and especially when you are in front of the camera, I think there has to be a little bit of an ego involved there. Mm. I think uh, you also need that so that you can also accept the criticism and the critique and people feeling comfortable to come and say whatever they will. And now, oh my goodness, now with social media, people being able to say whatever. Mm. You need to have that thick skin. And I think that maybe again, back to growing up with a boy, I had to have thick skin to be able to um, stay within the, so, the, the group mm. of we're going to the, the park now. Yep. Not Lisa, you can't come. It's Lisa, yeah, you come and you're going to pitch today. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that th that whole comfortability on the mic does come back to I enjoy doing drama. Mm. And I remember that as one of my electives in high school. Mm. So you have here, it really addresses the three things. If anybody is interested in getting into media or performance or anything like that, I, for me, it was really a love of sport, number one. Yep. I love to write. And thirdly, the performance aspect of mm. the drama. Mm. So, and I also did well on speeches. So that was something I took a great deal of pride in. Mm. I don't know if they do that as much in the high school or in system, junior high. Yep. But we had to do speeches starting grade five. Mm. Mine was on the Loch Ness Monster. Like, I still remember it. Then I did Star Wars <laughs> for grade awesome. six. <laughs> and I was in an open concept school. I just tell you this really quickly because I still all, remember. We got all the time, so don't open, you worry. Well, open concept school in a huge pod. And my capture technique was... Da, 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 da. So that was my capture. So all the grades could hear this, and, and I really enjoyed, for whatever reason, mm. doing the performance, and so that's probably why I felt yep. a comfortability. Mm -hmm. That um, being comfortable in front of people at a young age is, is a, something I never had, still don't have. Is that just in you, do you think? Or do you pick that up from your, you know, people you're around, like your parents? Or, like, where do you get that, like, confidence to actually own space like that? That's a great question. You know, I think uh, maybe it does come back to my parents also. They brought my, my brother and I uh, to many of their my father's business conferences. So mm. I had to really 
you know, it was always kind of drilled into us, make sure that, you know, you're polite and respectful to these adults that you're going to meet. You know, mm-hmm. we're here for your father's business. So we really had to make sure that we were on, you know, being polite, yeah. shaking hands and all of that. So probably being in front of crowds of people started early. Mm-hmm. Then, as I said, my elementary school having us do those speeches, mm-hmm. which was not an option. Uh, I think public speaking, they say, is actually one of the our biggest fears. Mm-hmm. It's not flying in a plane yeah. or heights. Mm-hmm. It's actually public speaking. Mm-hmm. So I really thank <laughs> University Village uh, and the, you know, uh, it's now called, I think, Grand Rapids School Division, uh, not Grand Rapids, sorry, Grand River, is for giving us that opportunity mm-hmm. to get those fears away at yep. age 10. Mm-hmm. Great value to having kids stand up in front. And actually, I did a program here with the Calgary Board of Education, Kidcasters, which was exactly about that, about mm-hmm. getting them in front of their peers. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, you can have nerves, you can be yeah. nervous, but it's okay. Channel that energy, that energy, and and you'll find that you'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I never did figure that out. Honestly, I was just like, <laughs> I was always petrified to stand up in class and do like book reports or anything. I just couldn't like, couldn't wrap my head around it. Even right now, like big groups, yes. it's like my nemesis. One-on-one, I'm like... You're fine. Totally fine. You are 100% fine yep. as we are enjoying this space right here. Mm-hmm. And I still get nervous too. I mm-hmm. mean, I have, but I also have a system now. Mm-hmm of things that I know I need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just did something actually at the University of Calgary, the McCaig Institute. They have an annual wood forum on bone and joint health. And even though I have done MC work and as I you know, talk to audiences, big and small, since grade five, I have a certain process I know I need mm. in order to be ready for that, mm. even as someone who's done it for many years. Yeah. And I still get nervous. But when I feel that nervous energy, and I can say that to anyone who's listening to this who has to speak to 10 people, 1,000 people, or only a presentation to three people, mm-hmm. if you just have that moment to yourself to take those breaths, those deep breaths are mm-hmm. such an important part of it, because we can feel our energy start to build and build, and, and all of a sudden it, it has control over you. Yeah. So you take the deep breaths, you remind yourself that you are capable, and what I like to do is I actually go out there ahead of time and look at the space mm. and imagine the people there and feel like physically I'm good. Mm. I'm there, I'm going to own this space, and, and I kind of go through my opening re- preamble as well. So mm. I kind of go out there so that I've been in there for yeah. a while. I don't know how to, if I'm explaining no, that, that, that correctly. Makes sense, but yeah. yeah. I've seen um, Scott Oak. We go to the, our family's had tickets at the Flames since day one. Oh, lovely. So, and right where our seats are right now, there's kind of where the, um, the announcers, they do like the pregame stuff, the Sportsnet team. So I see Scott Oak there and I see him like, pretty focused like before they flip that red light he's pretty yeah so as you're telling me this I, I can picture you and the you know different um, announcers like really kind of shutting in especially when there's 10,000 or 100 or whatever you know just this is not an easy skill mm-hmm. and this takes a long time and Scott Oak is tremendous and what I love about Scott Oak and I wish our young reporters would really pay attention is how we ask the question mm. 
And he, it's, it's a question, right? An interview is about extracting information yeah. for the most part. It's not a conversation. And we also really don't need to be congratulating people because we're the media. We're objective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Scott is tremendous, and he researches, and he right he comes at the the player with with context, yeah. with background, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. I can share with you that uh, for me, the Olympic Games in Vancouver would be the biggest event I've ever done. Yeah. And there, you're you have to just shut out. It's just like an athlete. Yeah. We're going into that in a performance. Mm-hmm. We're going into that having to be prepared. And then when it's our moment to shine, and when you are, say, the host position, like how Scott was or I was with women's hockey in Vancouver, you've got 30, 45 seconds to do it and to do it well. Mm -hmm. And you will be judged by that. I'll never forget the producer saying, we we had a tournament, so it was three weeks about, two and a half, three weeks long. We're doing multiple games, Mm -hmm. sometimes two games a day. As the producer said, you will be judged by your final two games. Mm-hmm. Bronze medal, gold medal. Yep. So it doesn't matter. It's those la- and then I find out later, this one particular hit that I did, I was quite, you know, I was pleased with it. At that moment in time, we're heading into the third period, Canada, US, women's hockey. And I think they said the audience later was 7.8 million. And so that's a good thing to not know. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> Because all of a sudden you get a little dry and you're just like... I, I could hear Brian Williams in <laughs> my in ear, ear, right? I thought, oh, there's Brian, who I grew up watching. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. And you kind of just like, don't go there, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Get mm-hmm. back to what are we... Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So you have to be uber-focused. Yeah. Um, take me back to this, uh, the evolution of TSN. After you kind of... How long you're in the row for and then what happens oh, after that? Oh, wow. Well, TSN... What an amazing time. In fact, I just got a notice from a whole bunch of my former colleagues that they are already planning for the big reunion next August because it's the 40th anniversary of TSN next year. No way. So I came on four years after it came on the air. Mm. And I think that's right. And so that for me, just very briefly, was that I I did that work uh, as an editorial assistant. Then I started to be a story editor. Mm-hmm. So I would actually go down to Maple Leaf Gardens before my shift started because I really wanted to be a reporter mm-hmm. and I really wanted to tell stories. So I had the foundation as an editorial assistant. But yep. then before my shift, <laughs> I'd go down to Maple Leaf Gardens interview the players after the skate yep. and then I put together a little the little voiceover we'd say that would then go to the clips mm. so from the interviews and then I'd write that up and I'd hand it to Gino so to Gino Retta or Paul Romanuk or Jim Van Horn yep. and they would read that on the air mm. so that gave me a wonderful beginning piece mm-hmm. to then try to get that reporter job mm. So I did the TSN, that was about three years, and then it took me eight months to try to find a reporting job mm-hmm. uh, across the country. I, and I managed to get a, uh, Rod Black was uh, promoted to the CTV network, and he was in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And so Rod had been at CTV Winnipeg for I think nine years at that point. He had tremendous following, very popular. And the sports director at the time, Peter Young, he had me come out and I did an audition and he decided uh, my audition was actually, and I, I say this is a fantastic audition. I covered the Jets Blackhawks 
from the morning skate right through to the post game. Cool. So I had to file a jerk for the six o'clock and then do the, the game and then the post game report. And from that, I was hired to replace Rod because as he said, you, I know you can do the job. This will be your first time, but I also think it'd be good to have a visual change. Mm. So there's an example of my, mm. yeah. actually it is an advantage at that point. Yeah. But I felt I had really worked for the position just as a writer and hopefully a, had the ability to be a, a reporter. Mm. So that's how I was hired. CTV Winnipeg, left TSN, then was hired back to TSN a year and a half later as the TSM Winnipeg Bureau, then moved to Calgary. So this is my second tour of duty in Calgary, Jeff. Mm. So I was in Calgary for TSN 94 to 97, was then promoted to uh, Sports Desk at the time, before yep. it was Sports Center. Mm -hmm. did that job for two years. Then I was let out of my contract. The word fired is still very hard for me to digest. Mm. I'm going to be 100% honest with mm. you. But I was, yeah, my contract was not renewed, and yep. that's how I found my way to the score. That, yes. that, now, do you want to stop there? Yes. <laughs> you, you can tell you. The, 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 what, what I love about this is you're such a professional. You know exactly how to, and I'm just hopefully smart enough to pick up the cues because <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, a couple of things caught my attention. Obviously, the names like Paul Romanuk, Rod Black, and me just being like a sports person, I like I really remember all these names because yeah. it was just it was just a when you're a youngster watching sport, it's just very impactful. Like you remember, I remember all of those things. I know nothing about school. I know nothing about anything outside of sport. <laughs> but I remember these things. Yeah. The the moment when when you get fired, you're, you're on a bit of a roll. Like things are things are yes. working. You're like. Um, you have a voice, you have a face, you have a presence in the sport world. So when, when, when something, when it goes wrong like that, what actually happens? Like what goes through your head? Well, at that point, I'd been at TSN for seven years. I had started my career there and I had really felt like, as you say, yes, I was on a roll. What's interesting in our business is that Sometimes it doesn't matter how hard you work. Mm -hmm. And this can also be the case in many other industries, not necessarily ours. But it really sometimes can come down to who likes you. Yep. And so I felt that that was something where I could just never really, uh, one particular person at TSN in the upper brain trust mm -hmm. never really liked me. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. And I, I did my best. And then maybe... He then influenced some other people. Yep. But here's the fun thing about that whole experience is that I had called the meeting. <laughs> For the exit. So I had called the meeting because I had this great idea that I thought we could do a really neat show about access where we're giving access to you, the viewer, kind of like the quarterback that you see on Netflix or the Beckham story. It was like that. It was about really getting a deep dive mm. behind the scenes of an athlete. So I was going to bounce on up. I have my, my, my notebook yep. with my pitch on there. And I got the call saying that uh, Keith, uh, Keith Pelly, who had hired me two years previously, would see me earlier. And mm. I said, oh, okay. So I went bopping on up with my notepad. Do you remember what the show was called that you were going to pitch? I think it was called uh, 
in access, I think. And that's oh. what I mean. What's funny mm-hmm. is that later at the score, I then turned mm-hmm. into sports access. Mm-hmm. So one door closes, <laughs> others open. You know this. Anyway, just, I need to tell you this story because it really does speak to, and, and so many people who go through job loss, I think will identify with the shock, the, the almost the, you're bereft. It's like a mourning. You, it's mm-hmm. grief. You're going through all the processes of grief. And when he pushed the note, the piece of paper across and said, no, actually, we're going to let you out of your contract. And I said, oh, my goodness, they don't even want me reporting. And so I took that and I thanked him. And then I left. And I was really, and I know a lot of people will identify with that feeling of, you're at a, you just don't really know. You're kind of in a daze. Mm-hmm. You're in a daze. Yep. And especially when you think you are doing such a good job and then someone is saying, no, we don't believe in you. And especially me being a female, Mm -hmm. this was in this industry, that was very unique. And why was that? I mean, the Toronto Sun said, Bose let go by TSN. Those are the headlines. Mm -hmm. The Globe and Mail had all these rumors about it was because of my hair and it was... (laughs) (laughs) I can laugh about it now. Uh, I was just going to ask, but th- at, at that the moment, time, to go through it in the press too, like that's a different level. In the level. press, that's right. Now we didn't have social media, but yep. we still had the mm-hmm. papers. There was a radio show, a show Bob McCowan and Primetime Sports. Mm-hmm. They were talking about it. They never called me, but they were talking about it and it all came down. And this is what made me so sad though, is that it was coming down to the female component mm. that I was let go because of me being a female. And yet I had, had, I felt gathered enough respect in the industry and worked that far in the industry that it wasn't about that. Mm. But they said in the papers, they said that it was a private matter between Lisa and the network. So they left the door open when no one really knew what that meant. Like yep. if I had Mm-hmm. stolen from the cash register. Mm-hmm. So what do we do there? Now the most important thing is your response. And you cannot go, and especially social media, today when people are let go, and especially in our industry, sometimes you do want to say something online. Yep. And you really cannot. You really have to take the high road. Mm-hmm. And I can share with you that by taking the high road, in my quotes in those articles, it's all about thanking TSN. Mm. And I had to because I wouldn't be where I was without TSN. Yep. And, and because of that, that helped me then to get my next job. Mm. But I was depressed. And that's... Um, I was depressed. For a duration of time, I'm sure, right? Yes, it- absolutely. I did not get out of bed. My whole identity, you have to remember, is Lisa Bowe's TSN. Mm. Just like anyone else. Bob Smith, RBC, right? You identify so much with your work and who you're working for Mm -hmm. that when you are let go like that, it it is a very, very difficult thing. And what I always like to say to people is you just have to give yourself time to cope. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Talk to your friends, talk to your peeps. Mm -hmm. And I really was, I can honestly say, I would not get out of bed because I have the added element of people knowing it's me. For sure. You can't hide. Right. Very, very difficult and challenging time. Mm-hmm. So I have that job loss. Yep. But then I actually, after the score, went to CBC, and then we had a redundancy. When I hit the redundancy, 
which just is a very interesting CBC term. I then, my response was more, oh, well, that's kind of disappointing. The first one, I was devastated. Yeah. Yeah. Second one, it's going to be okay. I'm yeah. kind of disappointed. Mm -hmm. Then I had a layoff. Actually, CTV, they laid off all the sports departments across that? the country. I remember that. That one was a, huh, <laughs> And then I would say COVID was another job loss mm. because I lost everything in what I was doing at yep. COVID. And then I went, oh, well, that's okay. I'm just going to get through it. So each one, yep. it's going to be okay. It just yep. builds your resiliency. Which, is, which I think is an important message because I think sometimes the first one always stings. I had, my first one was in like 2002. I got laid off from critical mass. Oh, yes. Okay. And I was, I, was a, I was a youngster. I was probably like early 20s. And right before I got laid off, they kind of, they were, and I was too young to kind of see, see what was happening, but they were asking people where they saw themselves fitting within the organization, what you're passionate about and where you want to go. And I was like, you know what? I feel like I... I want to be more part of the music side of the business. Like this is, you know, we're building websites and there was an, there was an engineer, an audio engineer, Dowie Wood, that was just this magician. And I was like, I'd love to ride beside him. And I was starting to DJ, so it kind of all made sense. And then like a month later, yeah, everyone, like this, this giant group of people come to the boardroom, we just have to talk to you about, you know, what's happening. And that was it. They like laid off like a giant number of us. Oh my. And so it's shocking, right? The first one you go through, it, you know, yes. it's, who, it's who you are, that, that, that business is associated with, you're associated with that business, and, 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 it's your livelihood, you got bills. It's traumatic. So, it is traumatic. I can only say that for you, you were lucky because you had all these other people with yeah, you. for sure. In my first, mm -hmm. I did not. Well, and because of how public... <laughs> Public, you're, like you're the, the yes. face, the voice, this like <laughs> under this national program. Yes, and therefore, then what is very challenging for me to overcome. And I remember uh, Anthony Ciccioni, who was running the score at the time. We had an, a, a conversation before I decided to take that job, and he said to me, he wanted to know uh, more about what was there any scandal or was mm. there anything mm. he really wanted to get a handle on my personality yep. and I found that very challenging because I really felt I hadn't done anything wrong yep. except just work 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 mm -hmm. and I love TSN but here's the best part of all is that that happened then the scores then CBC then come to Calgary again CTV and in 2005 I was hired by TSN to do the BLG awards and then I started to backfill on my old job for Jermaine Franklin here in Calgary. Mm. So I came back to the network. Yep. And why is that? Well, because I think firmly because, well, it might be because there were different leadership then, yep. but also because I took the high road. Yep. And I just showed respect to the network and moved on, mm -hmm. right? Yep. One thing we know about life is that change is constant. <laughs> Right? Mm -hmm. That's a one constant in life yeah. is change. And you can't please everybody. So I've learned a lot from my time mm -hmm. in media. <laughs> do, you, um, do you get to talk about that very often? Like when I you're don't. No, I did. I've, I, when COVID was happening, mm -hmm. I actually did speak to a, uh, uh, there was a group of people that were doing a kind of a, a webinar. They were doing a, 
something to kind of reach out to ever, all of us who had lost our jobs yep. and talking about trying to get through the pandemic mm -hmm. when you have no work. And I did speak to them and I explained to them about about how if I could get through that, you can get through what yeah. you're getting through because yeah. you don't have that those extra elements of yeah. the public yeah. forum of your job losses not being written in the papers mm -hmm. and people believing the written word, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't get a chance to talk about it often, but I think, though, it definitely has a lot to do with my ability, I guess, to deal with rejection. Yep. And I certainly have had a lot of rejection mm. in my life, in my working life. It's it's fascinating, <laughs> and it's such a um, it's such an emotional discussion too, because the people that are going through it are in this like in the thralls of this like tailspin. So to hear from you know somebody that actually yes yes everyone getting go, everyone goes through it in a different way, but to go through it to your point with all these extra levels, all these extra levels, and it is, and you will still have trigger points. Mm -hmm. I think you will still have trigger points. For sure. I think from critical mass, For even sure. though that's a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. I have some trigger points, but then I have to keep reminding myself. And I think for those of you who are going through it right now, my two big tips are like, I like to go like walks, I think are fantastic. Mm. We all have our things that we like to do to like reset walking and being in nature are my big things. And my other one is I always call a friend mm. and I find when I call a friend, actually talk to them that they completely can reset whatever emotion or stage of feeling that I'm in at that time. Yep. Like if I'm kind of feeling kind of low, yep. if I call a friend, we have a few laughs about something else. They might see something that I'm not seeing and yep. it immediately puts me in a better frame mm. of mind. So I strongly encourage those of you. And, and sometimes I would, you know, go on YouTube and find some of your favorite comedians mm. and just, just, just realize you're going to be okay. Yep. It's really tough right now. Mm -hmm. It sucks, but you're going to be okay. Yep. When we, when you came out of it, um, and then got the job at the score. Was it you kind of like f changing your mindset or was it kind of a uh, serendipitous moment where they kind of came to you because they were looking for something? Well, I had, to, I had to reach out to them and that's the interesting thing too. And this is another tip I would have for those of you who are going through job loss is on that same notebook I described to you when I went bopping on mm -hmm. up to make that pitch. I still have that notebook. And right below my pitch notes is all the, are all the people who started to call and leave messages once they heard about my mm. firing. Mm. And then mixed in that is me writing down all the people I was calling to say, hey, this has happened, but I believe that I have a lot more in the tank and I really don't want to leave Canada. At the time, I had an agent actually in the United States out mm. of Washington, and she had actually had something lined up for me out of uh, in Cincinnati. Mm. And But I didn't want to leave Canada, and yeah. I could have easily gone and done that, but I felt, no, they're not going to let me, I'm not going to leave my home mm. because on this one decision. So on that same sheet of paper, I was writing down all the people who were my supporters and mm. my champions, and I was reaching out. I did reach out to the score, also in Barrie, Ontario. Mm -hmm. They had asked me to come up and do an interview. Sportsnet had, I went in and talked to Sportsnet as mm -hmm. well. So uh, writing that down, yep. I think will also give you a really great uh, realization that this is only that one person or that one company. Mm -hmm. When you think about all the supporters you have, Jeff, now, yep. 
beyond critical mass, yeah. right? Yeah, it it's, it's, reminds you mm-hmm. your worth. Because mm-hmm. you take a big hit on yeah. your self-worth when you are fired. For sure. So where, is the, where does the story go from the score? Like, does, I don't mean like the story, but like, does something change at the score? Do you have a new idea, a new vision, a new energy, a new, new opportunities? Oh, like, yes, because it was so score, different than TSN. And the score was, and oh so you're, from the outside, from the outside, the score in the early days, it was like this, you know, it was like this, the little brother kind of like trying to punch above his weight class and just... Absolutely, and I learned different. later it was very popular in the West. Yeah. Channel 30, Headline Sports. I love how you remember the became it Before it became the score. <laughs> and I really, it was what a breath of fresh air because I've come from the jacket, the TSN yeah. jacket, conservative, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Never make a mistake, mm-hmm. Lisa, right? Always be mm-hmm. accurate, which is very important in our industry, and I'm, yep. not, I'm not discounting that. But... At the score, it was very much, and again, fantastic people who I, we still stay in touch. And, and again, they'll be at my funeral. I'll mm-hmm. be at their funeral, I hope. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but it was very much more casual. And, and Anthony and his leadership team were open to new ideas. And mm. that's how I was able to, we created that sports access show, as I was telling you. Yep. And it had great numbers on a hardcore sports network, probably because it's mostly male viewers and they're curious about, wow, Lisa's and her, you know, they're going to talk about a female jockey, like a jockey, she, mm-hmm. you know, Jacques, uh, Francine Villeneuve. That's interesting. But just her role and her job as a jockey is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then you have the added element of her uh, being a unique presence on the track. So I love that energy. I worked with Steve Coolius, uh, who is, uh, you know, he. If there's anybody who has an encyclopedic knowledge of the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's cool. <laughs> and so he and I, in fact, a funny story is that we had uh, Cabral Richards, who was one of our writers, and at the score, AKA. at the score, uh, we would, or we, it was all handwritten highlights. Mm. If you remember, I was yeah, recounting how we, used to, yeah. how we used to typewrite, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, use the typewriter at TSN. Here at the score, there were no typewriters. They were handwriting the highlights for us, and Cabral Richards was one of our... And so Coolius and I, I call him cool, we decided, you know, we should come up with really something cool on Sunday nights. We did the weekend show, which is actually the great show to do because that's when everything's happening. (laughs) And so we sent Cabral out onto the street with a camera, and we say, you know, Cabby, he loves to... He was an actor at the time. He did a lot of that. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Gabby, how about you go out and get some streeters for us? So streeters is when we're interviewing people on the street. <laughs> Pretty basic, I know. <laughs> well, this became Cabby on the street. Mm. And so then we'd written it on a note, uh, actually on a, a napkin. We'd written out a whole kind of an idea for a show on Sunday, having live hits, having in, having guests come in, Cabby on the street. And so, yeah, that is Cabby. And uh, we just joke about it all the time that this was created from a napkin <laughs> after a show one day. And, and he's got on to bigger and better things mm-hmm. and just a lovely guy. And yeah. so, so the score, we had this great energy, mm-hmm. young kids, their first job in television. Mm-hmm. So I really loved that whole scene, mm-hmm. if you will. And yeah. that was based out of, it was out east? Out of Toronto, yeah. yeah. And 
they're still, I think they're now part of Sportsnet 360, if I'm not mistaken. And mm -hmm. they were ahead of their time, though, with the mm -hmm. ticker. Mm -hmm. I remember the wheel, that. The I wheel, remember right? That. The ticker. It's so, <laughs> right? It, it's, it's so, again, I remember sport things. I don't remember anything about anything else. But you say the ticker, I'm like, oh, yeah, they were kind of Diamond like, surfing. Yeah. We did the diamond surfing, mm -hmm. right? We all that stuff is very was very much ahead, and mm -hmm. then the other networks started to like really lean into it. Yep. Um, so where do you go after the score? The score, I then actually because I do like long form documentary. From there, because of my sports access show that was essentially a half hour show, a mm -hmm. uh, job opening came up at CBC for Sports Journal. And Sports Journal to me is actually the precursor to E60 mm -hmm. and to some of those fabulous mm -hmm. uh, ESPN shows. Yep. And now I think TSN does one, um, yeah, TSN remember. Presents. Yep. Long form, we call that. Yep. And I really love that. I loved. Uh, the field production. I love really digging into a story and getting beneath the scoreboard, if you will, mm -hmm. behind the scoreboard. Yeah. And so I, I joined Tom Harrington in Sports Journal. Mm -hmm. Fantastic program. It lasted for a number of years, and then it was on News World, and it was really looking at the issues. So I'll give you two examples of, of what I mean by that show and why I think, God, they could bring that back and have it on a regular basis, like a weekly show, not just a once every blue moon. Mm -hmm. The one I think of is Gary Roberts, the former Flame, former Maple Leaf, former... Stanley Cup winning Calgary Stanley Flame. Stanley Cup winning Calgary, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 89. Yeah, and the story with Gary was about his asthma mm -hmm. and how he came through asthma, and even we even got a shot of him on the bench while he was still playing. He'd take a puff no before. Mm -hmm. So that story has great depth because mm -hmm. now we're talking about here's an NHL pro who has asthma mm -hmm. and what and his big message to all the kids out yep. there, and that's why he really took you know in fantastic shape, mm -hmm. and he did that to help with his asthma. Mm. Another one was Ray Scapanello, who was the linesman who you would... <laughs> <laughs> I love these names. Ray Sc Scampi, as he was known, and yeah. I worked a, long, a hard time trying to get him to agree. Mm. He'd never done an interview before, and he'd never missed an NHL game. Mm. And so that requires for a lines for an official... He would go two hours early anywhere he went so he didn't miss a wow. flight. Never missed an NHL game. Wow. And so he allowed us to come with him to Boston. We cool. followed him, and that is one I really, really enjoyed doing. And I wouldn't have the opportunity to tell those types of stories, mm -hmm. give you a sense of who Ray Scapanello was, yep. what it means to be a linesman, mm -hmm. without Sports Journal and giving us the time to tell it. Just like this podcast yep. Being able to get into stories, thanks to the ability of having the time to do so. Did you? You kind of reference like the the E sixties, mm -hmm. and then the thirty for thirty. Thirty for thirty. Like, could, did you when you're creating these shows and like being involved? Could you ever envisioned them turning into something like that? These like no, amazing productions, I like because they're beautiful and they're I like know. like they're even amazing. Like, HBO does one too, yeah. I think, and. And but even like the Beckham one, the Beckham, the, Beckham. the Shaq one, the Magic one, like those like four, I those know. like four, like mini series, four episode things. The Netflix, yeah. Could you have ever seen no, that? No, no, I don't think I did. I think I was just so happy that we were still doing long form. Mm. And I think then there was a period where it kind of went out of fashion, mm. right? So they cut Sports Journal. Yep. And, and then 
uh, TSN then started to kind of get into that game because of ESPN, because ESPN has a stake in TSN. And the Americans do such a beautiful job. Like one of my favorites, I don't know if you've seen it, is You Don't Know Bo. Oh, yeah. It's about Bo Jackson mm-hmm. was like my favorite. Like mm-hmm. I had the poster, right? No the way. ball player. Awesome. Oh yeah, that was on my, that was on my wall. Bo Jackson. It's a phenomenal, a phenomenal uh, piece of work. And then mm. Michael Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. So then Jordan now bringing in the next generation where they're all wearing the same shoes, right? Mm-hmm. From, uh, you know. Uh, what's his name? Spike Lee. It's got to be the shoes, you know, yep. and, like all of that, right? The whole Nike, mm-hmm. that era to see it now coming back yep. with the kids wearing Jordans again mm-hmm. and Netflix. Like I, I was like counting the days for that Netflix and then to watch actually my colleagues like Andrea Kramer and Hannah Storm and Dan Patrick. I always wanted to be like Dan Patrick. Actually, that's why I wanted to be mm. like emulate them showing up in that Jordan yep. dock. Mm-hmm. I just love that. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of on a tangent here. No, no, it's but, great. I, but lo- I, 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 I just, love this. I just, yeah, I just, the, there's such value to long form. Yep. And I don't know why it got out of fashion there. What, like, it makes so, no sense at all. Because those, do you think because they couldn't figure out like the, the ROI of it? You know, they couldn't really. I guess so. Or they had a, maybe there was a time just as, the internet's exploding, social media. Maybe right. there was a time when everyone really, they just wanted everything in quick little bites. Right. Everything, in fact, even today, for the most part, reporters are asked to do 145, 150, mm. rarely over two minutes mm. to tell a story. Yeah. So that's in the news cycle. Mm-hmm. But I felt there was always a place for it, yep. and Sports Journal really was ahead of its time again. And, mm-hmm. and Sports Journal was also very much, though, issue, uh, issue related, like, mm. um, and 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 wanting to speak to a non-sports audience. Mm. So that was actually a great challenge for me. And my executive producer, I learned so much about the about writing and field producing and thinking about that non-sports audience mm. and how. And here I have been talking to a sports audience all those mm-hmm. years, and now, ooh, okay, so somebody that doesn't really know even yeah. what the National Hockey League is, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. is fascinating, right? They don't need to know, they don't need to know who Gary Roberts is, but, no. they, if they, but they connect with the asthma piece. That's just like, you know, there's thousands. How many parents would appreciate that story? And just Exactly, just on that alone. Mm-hmm. So another one I did do was on organic golf courses. Cool. So that speaks to the whole issue of water usage, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. pesticides mm-hmm. wrapped in uh, a sports, essentially, but sports was just the backdrop yeah. to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that. I learned a lot, and I learned a lot about interviewing. Mm-hmm. They had us actually have uh, a workshop. Uh, we were Sawatsky. It was it was known as. There was a gentleman, John Sawatsky, who he, he worked with ESPN and many other broadcasters. And you would go through his workshop on how to interview, mm. on how you take people on a journey, mm. and how you do that. And I was just blown. It was like I was learning again in my late thirties. Right? Do you think that's because in, in the sport industry you only had like those little segments? Like you, you didn't have the long like airtime. You couldn't do a post game for ten minutes. Like no, you were, that's right. You had your like two questions. Yeah, and then done. And I think it was really he's geared to the double ender. Mm. So when you're seeing the people in the two boxes yep. and like say the CNN anchors, so mm. he would work with them about 
what's the journey you're trying to take or 60-minute interview, right? Mm. What's the journey you're trying to take? So this was extremely helpful for Sports Journal because we're now, we know where we want to take this person. How are we going to get there? Mm. And how are we going to lead them on that journey so that they will give us what we want? Mm. Again, it's about extracting the information, not necessarily mm. having a conversation. Which is fascinating you're here. <laughs> I've, been, I've been getting... Um, questioned of like what it what what a good host is in the podcast world what does it take to be a good host nice and and i can't really you know i don't have a lot of experience right i have my little like siloed experience i would love for you to explain is it teachable do you need to just have something in you that's like you know based around curiosity is it an energy like what creates a good host out of all the people you've You've been a host. You've been surrounded by some of the best. You've like had, you know, people that you would aspire to be like. Like, what is it to be a good host? What does it take? I think it takes great listening skills. Mm. Number one, I think that's really a tremendous aspect of creating what would then become a fantastic interview. Is truly listening to what the answers are, but also sometimes it's great to have a plan. So mm. for Sports Journal, for example, we were always tasked with having a pre-interview. So you never actually got to the person until we had the pre-interview, and then you would craft your whole interview based on actually meeting them. But then you lose a little bit of the spontaneity. You lose a little bit of those kind of organically spun moments mm-hmm. But when you are in that world, you're trying to extract, especially if it's something controversial. So like W5, 60 Minutes, Fifth Estate, Mm. right? They know really where they're trying to go. And so to be a good host or an interviewer in that respect, I think is definitely listening, reacting. And sometimes you, I think you have to throw that plan out of the window Mm. because where you thought you were going, depending on what the person said, oh, now I have to actually adapt Mm -hmm. and change to to now we're heading in this direction. And now I've got to bring you back over here again. Mm -hmm. So I guess listening is the biggest thing, but Mm -hmm. also having some kind of a plan. Um, But I, I mean, I, you know, and I'm I'm old school. (laughs) I, I really dislike when I hear congratulations or, you know, good luck or, Mm -hmm. um, or calling, calling the other person by their nickname. (laughs) I just, I I find that too collegial if, uh, you know, if that's a word, I don't know. It's too familiar. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the line gets blurred and blurred a little more between the reporters, the journalists and the, the athletes, the coaches, the management. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes they're around them so much yep. that I just, but I feel that journalism, it, it's, it's like, it's, there's the integrity of yeah. journalism, right? Yep. There's, we have to be objective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, so what happens after a sports journal? Sports journal, yes. Yeah. So sports journal, oh yes, yeah, sports journal is the redundancy. <laughs> we get to the redundancy. Now, what that means in the CBC world is it means that you haven't lost your job, but they're going to cut the show, and so they are going to reassign you and put you into another area. Mm. So that meant, for me, I would have probably been put into the newsroom writing for the national. 
I think that was where I was heading. Yep. And I really, that was really not my passion or my interest. And so um, miraculously, God love him, dear uh, Russ Peak. He retired from CTV Calgary mm-hmm. around this same time. Three years this-ish? So this is uh, 2004. Okay. 2004. And I actually was just getting married. And I said to my husband of three weeks, who is actually originally from Montreal, how would you like to go to Calgary? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And Mark was working at BNN. Mark is a technical producer and a camera, and he's on the other side of the camera anyway. And so he was up for it, and so we he didn't we we didn't know if we wanted to start a family, and we knew we didn't want to do that in downtown Toronto, mm-hmm. and so we came to uh, Calgary in 2004. And mm-hmm. he now works actually at CBC French because he's bilingual, so it's been wonderful for him to use his mm-hmm. his language yep. here in Calgary. And so I came back to the TSN CTV Bell Media Fold mm-hmm. in 2004. Wow. Yeah, and so I did a part time part-time because I had other things I wanted to do while I was at the score. This is when I started Kid Casters, which was about um, inspiring and engaging grade seven and eight, so Mm. junior high, about uh, what it would be like to be a television reporter. And so I did that work in Toronto and brought that here, Mm. Uh, Kid Casters, which we did with a number of sponsors for about uh, 10, 12 years, actually, Mm -hmm. here. So I love doing that um, while I was doing the CTV anchoring and reporting. And then I did a night at the game, which was actually a corporate uh, night at the Flames, night at the Stampeders. Mm -hmm. I had done that, started that with the Blue Jays. So that was a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. I do many, many things, Jeff. I have to keep moving. What can I tell you? I have to keep diversifying. And yeah, and then, uh, and then at CTV is when I got the call uh, to go to the Olympic Games. Mm. Which is, that is the pinnacle of... Well, I would say so, yeah. for sports media. That was 2010, the 2010. So just quickly, I, I worked for Hockey Canada for, oh, okay. for almost four years. So that, nice. was, that was kind of... I think we went through, I think I was there for 2007 to like 11. So went through it. Oh, so Chris Juritz? Yeah. Yeah, he was our, CJ, he was our media relations. uh, He'd be a good person to chat to. Uh, He's now working at the city. Yeah. Lovely fellow. And uh, him and uh, Kristen Lipscomb, if Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, they were our media, uh, our media connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so a quick story about that. When we go back to the whole idea about, it's who you, mm-hmm. who likes you, mm-hmm. not necessarily who you know, but who likes you. The word was that for that Olympic Games, that was the most coveted assignment for any sportscaster in Canada. Mm. Whatever network you worked on, because they collaborated, right, to create yep. the consortium. Yep. So we had people from many different networks working on that. And the word is, this is just what I heard, is that they had a a board up and they had all our names on the board and you had to hope that you were still on the board by the time they made that final call. Mm. And some leadership from this network would have their people that they wanted Mm -hmm. and these guys would have their people Mm -hmm. and this, and they had to all Mm kind of agree. I was very fortunate to actually get started in, uh, I did some play by play in 2000 while I was at the score women's hockey and women's basketball, mm. uh, U sports. And then 
that transition to the National Women's Hockey League at the very beginning. And so I did a lot of work in women's hockey. And so them being back at CTV now, they had me working on some women's hockey games. So mm. I had like a great depth of knowledge yep. and background in that sport. So that's why I guess I held my position it, as a host at the Olympics for women's hockey. What I find fascinating is that there's, a, there's all these experiences that lead, up, that lead up to this moment. Like this moment is, is an opportunity that everybody wants, but nobody understands that you were doing all these like grassroots early experiences and all these different places to have, to have this, to create this body of knowledge. Yes. So that when you got the call, you're like, yes, you can, you women's can hockey. And I yes. Can, I do this. Yes. Like I was, I was so happy because mm. I didn't want freestyles. I mean, I do it. I would go and do that anyway, yep. but I was happy to not have freestyle skiing. Mm -hmm. Like women's hockey, I knew all the players. Mm -hmm. You talk about, I'm here, Calgary, Hockey Canada, they're all based here, all of that. Yep. And so, but interestingly enough, and as we, I spoke about this a little bit earlier about preparing and how athletes have to prepare for these events, and we as broadcasters have to do the same thing. Women's hockey, my binders, I had three binders uh, preparing for that tournament well in 18 months, I think it was, before the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. I think I had, or maybe I was, I was um, made the list a year out. But I, So my preparation began because Brenda Irving, one of my mm -hmm. uh, counterparts, Mm -hmm. Brenda, my God, right? Like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 <laughs> Olympics that she's done. Uh, I asked her, like, how do you prepare for this? I had no idea. And she said, there's no there's no research in, in games. It's mm -hmm. all got to be done beforehand. So I had done all of that. And then the interesting thing, and thank you for the opportunity to share with you, all those people that I was hopefully speaking to have lost a job, mm -hmm. We talk about triggers. When I'm now heading to this Olympic Games, it's in 2010. I had the firing in 1999. I've still come back to TSN family in 2005. But the people that are leading the, leading the charge in Vancouver are some of those people would have been involved mm -hmm. maybe in me mm -hmm. being fired. So I actually sought out a sports psychologist, a good friend of mine, Dr. Karen McNeil, mm. and she helped me to mentally be ready for the Olympics and to be able to perform where I wouldn't be triggered, feeling like mm. I wasn't good enough. You had made that decision. Mm -hmm. What was it? Like <laughs> 11 years mm -hmm. previously. Yeah. And so my mind, I, st I, I took it to that degree. Wow. I did not want to look down that camera lens yep. and have any doubt in my ability, my confidence, mm. knowing they were on the other side yep. in the control room watching this all go down. Mm. Isn't that's, that something? Well, that's, <laughs> that's like professionalism and work ethic and like... And, and she reminded me yeah. of that I was a professional. Mm. I needed to hear, mm. I needed to hear that I, and she had me actually, it was an interesting exercise and something that I encourage others to do. You don't have to go to the Olympics to do this, <laughs> but I, she had me actually write a, like my own gold medal. Cool. It was a, so I write a circle and I wrote down like positive comments and quotes the people had said about my work. Mm. And then I wrote down uh, words that described how I felt, like professional, mm -hmm. confident, 
right? Mm -hmm. Knowledgeable. And that was my gold medal mm -hmm. going to the Olympic Games. Amazing. And that's what I drew on to make sure that, that I was going to be okay. Mm. And you'd never know that. I, I was looking at watching me yep. perform to camera, and yep. I say perform. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. You would never know that. Uh, but I did take that to that degree because I could feel myself already thinking, mm. oh, I, you know, I, I, I made it on the board. Now I really have to write. And you can, yeah. oh. I'm like, no, Lisa, that's not the energy you need. Mm. That's, that's not what, they didn't want that energy. That's not why they no. chose you. That's right. It's fascinating. What I find really, <laughs> I, what I find very interesting is just watching the Olympics. You know, you, you kind of, as a spectator, you take for granted the amount of work that the reporter does, right? Like, you just don't really think about it. They're like, you're there doing your job and you're good at it and you're on TV, like you're always on TVs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now to hear the story, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a, to play at that level is no joke. It, it's no joke, yeah, and it's uh, it takes a lot of preparation, and it, you, there's no time to prepare in games. Mm -hmm. And so I had, as I told you, I had these mm -hmm. multiple binders, and I made like Zoom calls to Russia mm -hmm. to find out more from a couple players who are playing yes. over there about what's it like to play in Russia, because that is, I mean, I think even Trechak himself said something like, "Women don't believe, shouldn't be playing hockey." So I mean, mm -hmm. I was wanting to make sure that I had stories. Yep. So I would create little nuggets mm -hmm. because sometimes that role, I think, actually as host or sideline reporter, we even just had a, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion around sideline reporting just recently. I don't think that that role is really understood very much because many people might think you're really just there, you're just reacting to what you're seeing in that moment. Yeah. But, oh my gosh, no. Like, I mean, going into, say, a football game, just take a stamps game. I'm like building like five or six nugget stories that I have researched the week before and done interviews talking to players so that if mm. something happened, mm. I'm ready with that nugget. Mm. Let, let nugget. Let's say that the running back says, oh, I've got to, I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make sure I get a hundred yards this game mm. and it goes horribly wrong. Well, maybe I, from my earlier interview with him, I can draw from that. So like you're constantly yeah. trying to build so you can anticipate what will happen in the game that I'm right there with that nugget, mm -hmm. and especially in the interview at halftime? Mm -hmm. I believe so much, so strongly, like research is everything. Mm -hmm. You come into the game with a lot of research, and when you do that, then the game's going to go well for you. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I'd like people too, to, to know about sideline, especially in football, is that you also have the running feed of the commentators in your ear, so imagine. No. I have notebook, I have thoughts, I have lots of these stories, I have all my notes. I have a nonstop for three hours, the commentators. Then the producer can come in over that and talk to me. Plus I have the actual game announcer, mm -hmm. the, the, the stadium announcer, plus the crowd. And you have to keep your wits about you yeah. to be also recognizing what's happening mm -hmm. if that player, like, it's not going to be great if I miss that the quarterback's off the field. Mm -hmm. You've got all that happening. Yep. Chaos. And then it's red light, calm, mm -hmm. go time. Spit out what you're trying to say and mm -hmm. spit it out clearly and succinctly. Yeah, and that's the, like, <laughs> people are so judgmental. Like somebody makes like a little slip on, 
Oh, yeah. And like, they're not allowed to make mistakes? Like, yeah. It's a very chaotic atmosphere, yeah. and your mind is constantly absorbing mm. so much intel. Mm. It's draining. Completely. Um, Sorry I got off into football from Olympics, but it. anyway. I love it. Same but, kind of thing, though, the Olympic Games. Yeah. Imagine that place. Yeah. The crowd. Yeah. The noise, the music, mm-hmm. producer, commentary. And millions of people behind that lens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all those people. <laughs> um, where, where, do you, where does your story go from there? You kind of... The Olympics. Yeah, the Olympics, you kind of like... Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And Olympics also depends on what network you're at, whether you get a chance. So I didn't get a chance to do an Olympic Games until I happened to be at CTV. If mm. I'd still been at CBC... Yep. At Sports Journal, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. Mm. But I might have had an opportunity for other Olympic Games because obviously CBC very much a part of their brand. The Olympics, I'm still at CTV. I actually become a mom. I become a mom in the craziness of all of this. My daughter is three at the time the Olympics are happening. Mm -hmm. She's two, actually. When I come up with this crazy kind of idea, well, it's not crazy, but I came off the air one day at CTV, and I was reading books to her, as most parents do, trying to, you know, make those connections early on in life, especially with literacy. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, my, I'm in this Olympic mindset. And I don't see many books out there that are about different types of sport. And I thought, oh, I could get a collection of books together in time for the Olympics. This was a year and a half out from the Olympics. No, this is not going to happen. (laughs) Not sitting still. (laughs) Little did I know. Broadcasting is very different from publishing. Mm. And so, but I didn't give up on it. And I, you know, as I I came off the air and I was like three o'clock in the morning, I think, and I was still writing out, oh, I could have like Curtis tries curling and Lucy tries luge and... Sylvain tries speed skating and we could have all these and it'd be a wonderful uh, collection as the Olympics come out and kids could be reading about all these different books anyway. Fast forward. Fast forward. Fast forward. I actually did find, it took me three years to find this incredible illustrator, James Hearn. Mm-hmm. And Lucy tries luge. That was, I felt, my strongest uh, story. And so I began the journey of reaching out to publishers to try to get the books published. Mm. So 16 rejections later, and seven years later of that process, mm. the very, the Lucy tries luge traditionally published came out in 2015. Wow. But this began for me in 2008. And James and I, I was too, I don't know if it's impatient or if it's just bloody determined, but the Luge team was going to do well in Sochi in 2014. Mm -hmm. And they were out of Calgary. And I thought, I got to get this book out because, so we self-published. I found a sponsor, Olympia Trust Company. They are a true champion of mine and of Lucy and for James and they uh, sponsored the book and sponsored mm. Lucy. So it had Olympia on her, just like a, a, an athlete had sponsors. Crazy. And we donated books, thousands of books, to the Calgary Board of Education, the Calgary Catholic Board in lower socioeconomic schools. Mm-hmm. And then we did the press release or the media launch of Lucy Tries Luge at Olympia Heights School mm-hmm. with the Luge team. And we had the luge athletes reading Lucy Tries Luge to these kindergarten. And then Olympia Trust kicked in $25,000 to help support the luge team as they went to Sochi. Beautiful. 
I was so I was happy with that determination mm -hmm. to get that going. Yep. And so we self-published. Then we self-published again the short track speed skating. Olympia came on again. We went to Montreal. It was in French as well. Mm -hmm. And we engaged kids about speed skating and donated books to the English Montreal School Board. Mm. That was the journey of Lucy Tries Sports. Coming out of the Olympic Games, many, many rejections. <laughs> but we still managed to get those books out. And then what happens? Well, after the books are self-published, one of the publishers that had rejected me before, five years previously, then decides to pick it up. Mm. And I'm so thankful for them, Orca Book Publishers out of Victoria mm. and Washington. This, the, the passion behind this idea, is it, is it, um, how does it occupy your brain? Is it like, is it a big driver for your day-to-day, -day, your year-to-year? -year? Like, where does this, where does this fit in your life right now? I think, I think my daughter will tell you that I think about Lucy as much as I think about, about her sometimes. Mm. She, I think it, Lucy is actually really in a, uh, I, I, I do refer to her in third person because she is the multi-sport champion for all children. Mm. And there's a couple of strands here that actually come back to the, the background of what you have just asked me about. It goes back to me as a girl mm -hmm. with boys. Mm -hmm. Lucy is the, she was never going to be the lead character in this series. But as soon as James drew her and she has red hair, I'm not sure, does the camera pick up this? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has red hair, <clears throat> as you see. Uh, that's from Pippi Longstocking, who I loved as a kid, mm. right? Strong, interesting, mm -hmm. rides into town on a horse without a saddle and a monkey on her shoulder. Interesting. Totally loved her. <laughs> so Pippi Longstocking, every athlete that I've ever really interviewed who is trying so hard, persevering, and a little dash, I guess, of my daughter. He drew Lucy, and I went, oh, my gosh, we've got this amazing opportunity to create this book series with a female as a lead, and boys love her, too, because children do not see gender. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, I guess I get passionate about it because it speaks to my journey as a female in sports media and how I was asking the viewer back then, or even still, to accept me mm -hmm. as a sportscaster. Mm -hmm. Now I'm asking parents accept this mm -hmm. and don't think why isn't it a logan it's a girl and actually she's just a cool kid that's trying all these sports and boys love her too and i see that in all my school visits so lucy tries is really how much does it occupy my time well because it's something that i feel so strongly about because it comes again not only to me growing up with boys but to my kinesiology degree mm -hmm. i care deeply about how our little ones are just not moving like they should be. Mm. And we could do a yeah, whole yeah. other podcast yeah. on that, but that's the thing. It's her mission is to inspire all children to be active, to persevere. Mm. We all have to try. You and I both, every adult tries to just make a go in this wonderful life. Yeah. Our children are trying in school. They're trying in sport and to realize the benefits of sport and all the wonderful things that we get from sport. So it breaks my heart if they can't have an access, 
even just kicking a ball around mm -hmm. with their family. Mm -hmm. Adults are wonderful role models, so if parents can even just toss a ball with their child, they're helping them with that physical literacy piece mm -hmm. to that they can then use for the rest of their life. Active start equals an active life. We know that research is very clear. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm coming back to girl with growing up in Guelph, kinesiology major, sportscaster, writer, wrapping it all into this. And I think that it has a great deal of power for our little girls because, yes, yeah, she's an empowering figure. But if boys, so here's the deep subtext. If boys are reading this right away at age five, six, seven, they are therefore already their perception of a little girl yeah. is being formed. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can therefore assist and help them as they become men, yeah. as they work with women in the workforce. Mm -hmm. So that's my goal. Mm -hmm. My deep goal is for that. And maybe, again, that goes back to me working in the workforce It's 30 years ago. It's spectacular that it's, <laughs> it's 30 years of yes. to, for this, right? It's I never set out, Jeff, to... Yeah to create a children's book. Mm -hmm. But how did it happen from the Olympics, from me being a parent? Mm -hmm. And then kind of saying, oh, this would be kind of neat. Mm -hmm. But it didn't come easy. And children's is the toughest genre mm -hmm. to crack into. But I've had a lot of rejection, a lot of no's in my life as a sportscaster. And even... Major League Baseball players telling me to, you know, F off, you know, mm. even though I'm just looking for an interview. Mm -hmm. So this was nothing. A publisher saying, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what do I tell the kids in, school, in the school? And I say to you, 16 rejections. Well, that's a lot. But do you quit? Mm -hmm. No. Mm. Why? Because on the 17th, there's that yes. Mm. It's like Dyson. He's one of my favorites. Sir James Dyson. Failure works. So keep doing it. And think about what happens even from, from you having that first job loss. What did that give you? Yeah. What you learn from it, the resiliency mm. factor, mm. right? There's so much to gain from failure. Mm. So in some of these books, uh, Lucy is, she has to keep trying. She's missing. In fact, in baseball, she's afraid to, be, to stand in and get hit by a pitch. Mm. But she's got the encouraging coach. She gets calm and relaxed, and then she has that success point. And then she realizes she's going to love baseball. Mm. It's about overcoming, always. Mm. Even little children are always trying to overcome just learning how to read or write. Spectacular. <laughs> There's no way. You know, I've, I, you know when I kind of, I've been following you for a while now, and I, obviously I see the amount of work and effort you put into this project. There's no way I would have ever understood the why behind this. And that's what I find no, you wouldn't know because I don't have the opportunity yeah. in quick little bites, yeah. right? Yeah. And I'm usually, and it's funny because I have a love-hate relationship with social media, maybe because of my generation. Mm -hmm. I'm like an analog parent, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, right? So, and I also, I'm not a self-promoting, yeah. it's not in my nature. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually, as a reporter, like I would never be standing there uh, w at, at practice with a player saying we just finished the skate like I just yeah. it, it's not yeah. in my nature mm -hmm. so social media I have to do it mm -hmm. but I would prefer just to say thank you yeah. to the people who have 
like Spruce Meadows, for example, they allow me, you know, I'm there appearing, thank you very much, right? Yeah. But I, I don't have a chance sometimes to get really get into the, what is this all about? The story. The story. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? And that's right? why, yeah. There's a lot behind it. There's sure. a lot of uh, purpose to the text and the artwork. Mm -hmm. And I should mention, because you do have this shot here, I mean, what an incredible gift from Siksika First Nation. I went and spoke to their, oops, I just hit your mic, sorry. You, um, <laughs> you know, for them to... Amazing. To respond and give me this bead of medallion mm -hmm. of Lucy, as uh, I have this here in the studio, is is was truly, um, well, I cried. Yeah. Because I know that those are very special. Mm -hmm. But again, Lucy speaks to all kids. Mm -hmm. And I actually purposely, in this baseball story, Tom, he could be our indigenous boy. Mm -hmm. And I purposely, James and I, have him scoring that winning run. He's coming in, he's sliding in safe at the plate mm. to give a success point for our indigenous community. Mm. But he could also be Hispanic. So yep. there's a lot of thought. Yep. Yeah. He's brilliant. <laughs> it's it, it what what I love what I love about this story is just the I've been on this tangent for a while now. It's just a, like a lifetime experience is to get you to where you are. To be able to accomplish something like this, to have the courage to actually be creative and come up with this idea. Mm -hmm. It's not a it's not a. It's not random. It might. Maybe the maybe the inception comes out of the clouds a little bit, but when you actually put all the pieces on the board, it makes so much sense why this is possible to do. Like I couldn't do. It. I guess it does. You know what I mean? But it does. As we talk about it yeah. and talk it through, mm -hmm. you kind of realize how in our lives, all these little signposts that happen. Yep. And I think if you pay attention to those signposts mm -hmm. and you decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it. Yeah. Wonderful things can happen, and we mm -hmm. can't be afraid of someone saying no or yep. failure because we, if we do, we'll never know what yep. would happen, right? Mm -hmm. There's a great saying, and you know, here I have baseball. It's book six in the series with me today. You can't steal second base if you leave your foot on first, right? Like, mm -hmm. you've you, you got to mm -hmm. go for it. Yep. You got one shot, right? It's a dress rehearsal. This is not a dress rehearsal. Like mm -hmm. You've got to go for it. Yep. What's the worst that can happen? That's how I always tell myself, what is the worst thing that can happen? Mm. They say no. Oh, well, next. on to the next one. <laughs> Amazing. Um, this has been fascinating. I can't like... <laughs> you're such a professional, like... Your profession is built around storytelling. So to get you in this environment, and, and because you're a host, and because you're, you're like... It's an interesting experience for me to sit across from you and just like... See it. See what a, how a professional does it. So this has been very cool for me to experience. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to things that I don't normally speak about mm -hmm. and especially to be able to speak to to Lucy Tries Baseball because, or, or Lucy Tries the series because I think it's... I don't know where it's going to go. My goal is actually to have her animated next. That oh. would be my goal because then we can reach many more children. Mm -hmm. The key will be, though... You're kind of like you're, you're on the device or you're on the app or yep. you're watching the show yep. to get off it yep. to go be there's a call moving right, mm -hmm. so it's a fine line. That's cool. And but I would like to see her animate. I think the James's illustrations are beautiful for animation, mm -hmm. and I think we could do some amazing things because there's almost 200 sports in the world that we could try, that you could try, I yep. could try, Which our little amazing. kids Lucy could try. Totally. So. Imagine where this could go, and that's what excites me. But for me, though, it's mostly about 
trying to make that difference in our declining mm -hmm. physical activity rates. So it's funny for me that I come to that full circle from a degree that I turned away from mm -hmm. 30 years ago. Yeah. So thank you for the opportunity. And it was lovely to be here it's, in this cozy confines it's here. The, thank you. <laughs> um, I end the show with one question. When I say Calgary, where does your head go? Oh, I think innovation. I think, I think mavericks. I think and entrepreneurs. I actually, that was part of my pitch to my husband when we came, when I came back out in 2004, is that there's a great energy in this city that I always felt I could make things happen and I could get to people much quicker, actually, than I could in Toronto. Mm. I might have to go through a few layers. Yeah. So for me, Calgary is about, is about energy, both in the mountains, so close by, in the mount energy in the river, but mostly energy in the people and the... Uh, the possibilities are endless, mm. and I love that line. Is that Emily Dickinson? Anyway, Emily's, Anyway, somebody mm -hmm. but said, the possibilities are endless, and that's what I think of when I think of Calgary. Mm. Amazing. Uh, thanks for your time. Thank you. This has been really cool, and, it's, and now that I'm like hooked up with this book, it's just going to be cool to watch the journey behind it. And you, like, you seem to be all over the place with it, so it's going to be fun <laughs> to watch this thing just continue to grow. So. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And congratulations on, your, on this amazing podcast. You're Thank doing you. wonderful work to give voices to so many people that we don't really hear about. Mm. And in doing that, you're doing a wonderful service and, and, and really making things happen for others, which I think also speaks to what Calgary is about and the community of Calgary. Thank you. I appreciate it.